All right. If you want to turn to Luke 3, I will start by just introducing the topic and then we'll read the passage together. I want to ask you this morning what your measure for success is. You have a measure for success, even if you haven't thought about it. When you come home from work, you categorize your day as a good day or a bad day, which means you have a measure for success. You tell your wife or husband, good day, bad day. And what that means is you have this measure. Uh, You have a measure for success. You come home from the meeting, and if somebody was sick or somebody missed it, you still say it was a good meeting or it was just an okay meeting. Or sometimes it was a hard meeting. What that means is you're measuring your life, you're measuring the church by a standard, and you're calling something success and something else failure. The question is, what is your standard? Because if our standard is not God's standard, then we need to rethink. We need to question, maybe I need to think a little bit more about this. So I want to do three, maybe four things in this short time. First, I want you to consider what your measure of success is. Second, I want us to forsake any false measures of success that we have that don't align with the Word of God. Third, I want us to adopt God's measure of success. And last, I want us as a church, if we do these things, to be unified as a church in what we think is success or what we think is valuable. So we're just going to barely get into it in the next 25 minutes. And most of the time is going to be spent saying what's not God's measure for success and then just barely introducing what is God's measure. So let's read Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So here we see someone who has the real thing, who really is pleasing to God. And that's our goal. Our measure of success is, do we please God? Are we pleasing to God? That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He says, we make it our aim to please Him, to please God. Paul says in Galatians, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Think about that. What that's saying is, if, you, if your aim is not to please God, you're lost. That's very scary. You know, the vast majority of lost people, when they come home and they tell their wife, good day or bad day, what they're saying is, There was a day today that met my need for comfort, my need for affirmation. All the things I wanted to happen happened today, and that's a good day. A good day is when I'm comfortable. And a bad day is when all my 
uh, desires for comfort aren't met. Something's difficult. Something uh, annoys me. Something didn't go the way I wanted it to go, and that's a bad day. So the measure for the lost man of success is basically their comfort. That's what they want. That's success. Is if I'm comfortable, that's success. Uh, and you could potentially have that. If you're lost, that's what your uh, standard of success is at the meeting. If somebody makes you uncomfortable, that's a bad meeting. If the sermon goes a little bit too long or isn't exciting enough, that's a bad meeting. If the food isn't good enough or somebody does something, that's a bad meeting. But that's to be lost. The Christian wants to please God. The Christian wants to have a meeting, even if it's difficult, that pleases God. The Christian wants to have a difficult day at work, if it pleases God. The Christian can have a comfortable day at work and come home and say, it was a bad day. Everything went well, but my attitude was wrong. It's a big difference. Here's another um, verse, Paul again, 2 Timothy 3, 4 says, that in the last days people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So another way you could say it is the lost man loves himself. His measure of success is his own pleasure rather than loving God. The Christian the Christian wants to please God more than they want to please their own desires. So just by way of introduction, just ask yourself, are you a Christian? When you get up in the morning, is your day all about how can you please yourself? How you can be comfortable? Or is it, I want to please God. No matter what today, I want to please God. Do you, I'll say it a little bit a different way. Do you want to please God? Or do you want to please man? Some other person you're looking to please. Or do you want to please self? Only one of those can be a real Christian. Now, for most of us here, I believe we really do want to please God. I really hope. And so here's the problem. We have to try and discern what is pleasing to God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5.10. Try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So I want to look at this passage here and see what is not pleasing to God. We can see things that we don't have to have to be pleasing to God from this passage. It's very encouraging. And the reason it's important is if you have a false picture of what's pleasing to God, it causes two problems. It can cause one or the other. The first problem is you can feel discouraged because you're not pleasing to God because you don't have X, Y, or Z, and you really can be pleasing to God. So you get discouraged about something that God isn't worried about. Or, on the other hand, you could have assurance that you are, that you are pleasing to God, you are right with God, based on some measure that's not true. And we don't want either one of those errors. So first, what can we see what pleases God here from these verses? Number one, you don't need miracles to please God. You don't need miracles to please God. Here, God says that Jesus was well-pleasing. He hasn't done a single miracle yet. We know that because in John chapter 2, it says he did his first miracle. So Jesus is walking in a normal, everyday life, not seeing supernatural things happen. And God says, not just that he's pleasing, 
God doesn't say you will be pleasing when you start doing these wonderful things. God says you are pleasing now and you're well-pleasing. This is important. Um, You know, we believe here that the spiritual gifts still function, that there are gifts of healing. The problem is that a lot of churches that believe that, they start to think miracles are the big thing. Miracles are the measure for success. But it's not true. You can please God and have no miracles because Jesus did right here. He was pleasing to God before he had done anything miraculous. John the Baptist, another example, no miracles. And Jesus says he's uh, unlike any other man ever born of woman. He was pleasing to God. So that's, that's the first thing. Now, remember what I said the two problems are. If you think miracles are the big thing, miracles, if you see miracles in your church or in your life, that's what's pleasing to God. And you have miracles, then you think, oh man, our church is pleasing to God. When that's not necessarily true. You know, in Matthew 7, Jesus said there's going to be people who's, who did miracles and he's going to tell them, you're lost. I never knew you. So you could have miracles and not be pleasing to God at all. On the other hand, if you, if you think miracles are pleasing to God and you don't have them, you could be pleasing to God but be living in total discouragement because you think miracles are the big thing. And there's churches like that. I was just um, listening to a sermon a while ago of a guy who was just basically saying, God can do miracles, God can heal people, and I want to see him do it. And you could just hear in his voice just discouragement. He's, and he was just talking about how oh, I don't, I want to see it happen, you know. And it was just, it was sad, you know. You could tell in his mind this was the big thing, this was the measure of success, and you could also tell they weren't seeing it. Well, he could have been, I don't know this person, but he could have been pleasing to God and just have the wrong measure of success. Okay, so that's one. And that I don't think is necessarily applicable to every person here, but it could be. Let's do another one. You don't need to be in ministry or preach a sermon to please God. Jesus hadn't preached any sermon yet. Jesus didn't start His ministry yet. But He's well-pleasing to God. He's working a 9-to-5 job. And He's well-pleasing to God. I heard one pastor say, quote, God had only one Son and He made Him a preacher. Well, that's wrong. You know, that's a wrong idea. It's not that preachers are super-pleasing to God. He could have said just as easily and probably more accurate, God had only one Son and He was a carpenter. He spent more time doing that But you don't say, look, carpenters are special because Jesus was a carpenter and God loves them more. I mean, you don't think like that. It's not right. It's wrong. And it's a lie, right? It's a lie that a pastor necessarily is specially pleasing to God because look right here. Jesus wasn't in ministry. Jesus had never preached any sermon. Look at Matthew. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 13, 53-57. It says, when Jesus finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? So that's where we get that Jesus is a carpenter. Is not this is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? 
And are not all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. So there we see, Jesus preaches in the synagogue in his hometown, and people are astonished. Well, this is his first sermon, it seems like, in the synagogue. One, they're not even sure who he was, right? They're thinking, isn't this so-and-so's son? It's not like he was regularly preaching. And they took offense that he was preaching, because he he never studied. He wasn't a, a rabbi or anything. Where did he get all this? Where, where did he get all this learning? And they took offense at him. You don't need to be a pastor or be in ministry or preach a sermon to please God. You can be a carpenter or a plumber or a teacher or anything. You don't need to go to another country to please God. Here Jesus, he lived his whole life in his hometown here. And he was pleasing to God, well-pleasing. Sometimes you get this idea when you talk to people, that they feel like, if I could only go overseas, then I'd be pleasing to God. If I could only be a missionary overseas, then I could be pleasing to God. They've built up this idea in their mind, a false idea that going somewhere else, going somewhere far away, that's more pleasing than staying right where you're at. It's not true, right? Here's Jesus. He stayed right where he was at. He lived in his hometown until he was 30 years old, and he didn't go anywhere else. He hasn't left his hometown yet. At this verse we're reading about, at his baptism, he hasn't gone out anywhere. He's just been living there. And he's pleasing to God. He's well-pleasing. That's very encouraging. There are people that are discouraged. There are people that are discouraged wrongly because they're not overseas right now. Well, it doesn't matter. You can be pleasing to God right where you're at. And you could go overseas and not be pleasing to God. All right, here's another one. You don't need to be noticed by those around you to be pleasing to God. Think about those verses we just read. Is this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? They had to think, who even is this guy? And that's one of the reasons they were offended, because they thought, this is just a regular guy. Isn't this just a regular guy? Isn't this Mary's son and Joseph's son? Aren't his brothers right here with us? Why is he preaching? You don't need to be noticed. You know, I was talking to a friend, and he was saying that he go, he's discouraged because at his work, he's the only Christian, and he doesn't seem like people really even see any difference. That there's a, there's a Mormon guy who's way more friendly at his work, and, and people think, wow, look how friendly that guy is. They can't tell the difference. Well, is that discouraging? Only if you have the wrong view, the wrong view of success. You being noticed isn't, isn't God's measure of your success. And he actually said that if the world didn't know me, they won't know you. That's what Jesus said. You don't have to be noticed. You can go to work, and you can work, and you can do a good job, and you can please God even if nobody notices you. Even if when you meet people they say, yeah, what's your name again? That's fine. That's what happened to Jesus here. That's what they're saying. Who is this again? You don't need to be noticed. I'll say it this way. You don't have to make a big splash to please God. We have this kind of false view that, that the people that are really pleasing to God, they, they stir up things. There's 
Everybody knows who John Piper is. Surely he's pleasing to God. Everybody knows so-and-so at work because they're so outgoing. Well, maybe you're not outgoing. That's okay. God did not make every Christian outgoing. And you don't have to be noticed at work to be pleasing to God. What else? You don't need to, you don't need to be educated to be pleasing to God. John 7, 15, they, says, they said that Jesus never studied. How did he learn all this if he never studied? Jesus was not educated. Jesus didn't have a PhD. Jesus didn't have a master's degree. Jesus was just a regular guy. And look, look what happened. A voice came from heaven saying he's pleasing to God. That's amazing. Wouldn't it be discouraging if... It would be discouraging if this verse said something like, and Jesus, who had his PhD, and Jesus, who had gone to all these different countries, and Jesus, who everybody already knew, was really pleasing to God. Why? Because that would rule all of us out. Right? It ruled 99% of Christians out of being pleasing to God. But that's not what happened. He lived this normal life, and he pleased God. And you can too, and so can, so can I, through the Holy Spirit. What else? You don't have to make an impact or get things done and affect big changes to be pleasing to God. You can see from these verses that we read about Jesus going to his hometown that he wasn't making a huge impact. It wasn't, there weren't crowds gathering around him. There wasn't this huge uproar about Jesus. Why? How do you know that? They didn't even know who he was. They didn't say, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense this guy's going to be preaching a sermon because he was always super spiritual and people were always following him around. He was always doing all these uh, things. No. It's clear that that didn't happen. One, one of the ways we know that is, uh, let's find the verse here. I can't find the verse in my notes. Well, there's a verse where it says that Jesus went to his hometown and a big crowd gathered and his family heard about it and they thought that he had lost his mind. Well, what do we take from that? His, he wasn't regularly gathering a big crowd before his ministry. Otherwise, his, when this happened, his family wouldn't think, oh, he's lost his mind. They thought he was doing something crazy when a huge crowd gathered in his hometown. He'd never, it never happened before. And they thought, why is he doing this? And they went to basically grab him and take him home because they thought he was crazy. Jesus didn't gather a crowd. He lived a normal carpenter son life. Basically unnoticed. I found that verse, Mark three twenty to 21 So you don't need to gather a crowd, make a huge splash, make a big impact to be pleasing to God. You can be unnoticed. You know, bunch of people listening to a sermon doesn't mean it's pleasing to God. I'm sure, I'm 100% sure there are people who feel like they're pleasing to God because they get thousands of people listening to their sermons. It doesn't mean anything. It means they're going to be very accountable to God, but it doesn't mean that it's pleasing to God. That's scary. What else? You don't need to be remembered to please God. We literally know only one thing about all of Jesus' childhood from Luke. 
We know one small story about a few days in Jesus' childhood. We don't know anything. No one on earth right now knows anything about all the years that Jesus lived as a carpenter. None of it's recorded. That's pretty amazing. What it means, you could do a bunch of things and be completely pleasing to God and no one remembers you 50 years from now. Nobody remembers what Jesus did during this time, but that doesn't mean what he did wasn't pleasing. We know it was pleasing because God said so. This, one of the reasons I wanted to give this sermon was because of Vesta's sermon last week. It, I, in my mind, it dovetails pretty well. What, is it, what are all these things saying? You do not have to be extraordinary. You do not have to live an extraordinary life to be pleasing to God. You see that from this text? Jesus lived an ordinary life up to this point. And God didn't say, I hope you'll be pleasing to me in a few uh, months once you have this big ministry, or you're going to be pleasing to me once you make a big impact, or you're going to be pleasing to me once you gather big crowds, or once you preach good sermons. He didn't say that. He says, you are pleasing to me now, and you're well-pleasing. Very encouraging. Very, very encouraging. What it means is, where you're at, you as a regular Christian, wherever you're at, Whatever age you're at, living whatever kind of life, normal job, going to school, staying at home with the kids, whatever you're doing, you can be pleasing to God. You can be. It's available to every Christian. One thing I want to point out. It's... It's not true that we can immediately discern who's pleasing to God. We kind of start to think like that. We kind of start to think, oh, I know these people over here are pleasing to God, and we actually believe it because of some of these things that aren't necessarily true, right? That because they have big ministries or because they're making a big impact, they're pleasing to God. We don't know that. We don't know that. Somebody could preach a very powerful sermon, and you think, wow, they're pleasing to God, and go home and be horribly mean to their wife or a thousand other things and God is very displeased. And you won't know. So here's the question. First, are you discouraged based on a false idea of what pleases God? Throw that idea out. If you go to work and you think, man, I'm not pleasing to God because nobody around is saying, uh, oh, what's different about you? You're, you're different. What, what makes you so different? I want to I have what you have. Well, that doesn't have to happen for you to be pleasing to God. It doesn't have to. Maybe you've never seen uh, special guidance. Maybe you've never seen a miracle. That's okay. doesn't mean you're not pleasing to God. Maybe you're never going to be a missionary. Maybe you're never going to preach a sermon. That, that's fine. You can still be well-pleasing to God. So, if you're discouraged, if it's based on one of these ideas, throw it out. Throw it out. Replace it with God's standard of what pleases Him. On the other hand, do you find assurance? We need to guard ourselves from finding assurance or finding pride in something that doesn't necessarily please God. You could do just the opposite. You could feel really good about something that means nothing. doesn't mean anything. 
you could feel really good that oh, one one example is I meet people on campus a lot who have taken these short-term mission trips and it's very clear that they're they think that that they're pleasing to God because they went on this short-term mission trip if I ask them hey are, you know do you know the Lord how are you right with God they say yeah I'm right with God I went on a mission trip to so and so last summer it's very it's scary but what they're thinking in their mind is yeah I know I'm right with God because look at all these things I'm doing for God that's not true that's not necessarily true you could do a lot of things for God quote unquote and be lost in the end just like Matthew 7 says so what is pleasing to God what is pleasing to God we don't we're out of time but I want to at least just introduce what I think should be our measure for success and I'm going to read you a passage. You, I'm sure you'll recognize it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And I'll skip down. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, I think the reason Jesus was pleasing to God here is because He loved God and He loved others. That's what He said. Every commandment, comes under those two, every single one, everything we can do that God wants us to do, we'll do if we love God and we love others. What about our lives? What about your life? Is that your measure for success? Is a good day the day where your heart was filled with love for people? Is a good day, is a good meeting when we come and we love God and we love one another? It needs to be. Yeah. I'm gonna get, listen to this. What if we had a church with powerful messages and people are being blown away by the messages and huge crowds began to come. Many people started coming to our meetings and we were imparting so much knowledge. People were learning so much about God. And then we started to get a reputation. And if you want to learn about God, go here. And we made a huge impact. People all over the world started to be impacted by what we were doing. And we sent out tons of missionaries to other countries. And we saw many miracles. And we had martyrs. Would that make us pleasing to God? Would you believe if that all that happened, would you think, surely we're pleasing to God? That's not, not necessarily true. All that could happen and we could be displeasing to God. That's what... 1 Corinthians 13 just said, you could know, you could speak like an angel. You could give your body. You could be a martyr. That's another thing from this passage. You don't have to be a martyr to be pleasing to God. Jesus was just a carpenter. He hadn't died. 
for anyone yet, but he was already pleasing. So, the reason I wanted to say all this, one, I want it to be our individual measure for success, but more than that, the reason I really want to talk about this was because I want our church to be a church that is filled with love towards one another. We could have great sermons, and we could have all this fellowship time, and we could have all these things, but what about love? Do you love the people? I mean, is your heart really filled with love for the people here? Do you pray for them during the week? Do you come to the prayer meetings? Do you want to get into their life? Does it hurt your heart when you sit down at the meal and people don't open up? You can't, you can't get into anything deeper. Does that hurt your heart because you want to know what's really going on? I want this to be our measure for success. I want us to be filled with love. I don't want us to meet God on Judgment Day and Him to say, yeah, you had good sermons. Yeah, you had a lot of fellowship time, but you were short in love. So let's pray. Lord, we need reality. We need love for one another. We need help. We don't want to start thinking how great our meetings are because we got visitors or how great our meetings are if we have a good sermon or all these things if we don't love each other like we should. Lord, please fill our hearts with love. We ask this that you might be glorified. Amen.